We are still working our way through our short series on prayer, and we're getting close to the end. So, uh, but last week, we took a look at the Lord's Prayer, and we just kind of took it apart a little bit. We dissected it a little bit, and there was a, one little section in there that I thought really we needed to come back and explore a little bit more on. We need to go uh, deeper into what Jesus said, because there's really some significant things there that I don't want us to miss. And it's that little phrase towards the end of the prayer where Jesus says, um, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And it's one of those things that you could easily and quickly pass over, look beyond it, and not really catch the depth and the meaning of what Jesus laid out for us there. And, and I think that there is, is, sometimes that's what we do, is we go real quick and we just, just don't catch it all. But maybe other times what we do is we read into it and then we try to make the passage say something it doesn't even say. And so what we want to do is we want to explore that this morning. And I want to start off by taking us into Matthew's gospel back in chapter 18. Jesus gave a story. A lot of times those stories are called parables because it's a story with a a deep, profound spiritual meaning attached to it. And so in this one, it's the, the story of a king who wants to settle his accounts with all of his servants. And the reason why these people are servants to the king is because they have a, a great debt that they're trying to pay off to the king. And the king goes like, you know what, I should get some of these accounts settled up so that we're good and we can move along and I get these things cleared off my books and it's all going to be really great. And so he starts to work through the list of people that owe him money, which is probably a long list. And in that list, he calls in a servant who owes him 10,000 talents. And he said to the man, he says, it's time for you to pay your debt and let's clear the books and let this thing go. And the guy goes, I don't have the money to pay you. So the king just simply says, okay, well, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife, I'm going to sell your children, and I'm going to sell all of your belongings so that the debt will be paid. And of course, that means that the likelihood is that the, 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 the husband, the wife, and the children are all going to be separated and go in different directions. And so the man pleads with the king, and he says, look, if you can just be a little bit patient with me, just have some patience, I will pay you everything. And out of the, the scripture says that out of pity for him, the master released him and canceled his debt. Now this guy leaves the, the courtroom of the king and he walks out into the streets and he sees one of his fellow servants standing there who owes him a um, hundred denarii. And so what does he do? He goes and he grabs him and he starts to strangle him and he says, you owe me a hundred denarii, you need to pay it up right now. And the guy goes, if you'll just be a little bit patient with me, I promise you I will be able to pay off everything that I owe you. If you can just be a little patient and show me some patience. And the guy says, not a chance. You know what? If you can't pay it, I'm throwing you in jail until somebody in your family comes up with the money. And so he had him thrown in jail. Well, the other servants looked around and they saw this and they're going like, that's ridiculous because we know what he was just forgiven. And so they went to the king and they said, this guy that you just forgave 10,000 talents, 
Yeah, he just threw one of his fellow servants into jail because he owed him a hundred denarii. And the king brought him forward and he says, you know what? I can't believe you did that. He says, because what I did is I forgave you all of your debt because you pleaded with me. And you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, the king had the wicked servant delivered to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Now, I think a lot of times this parable goes like this with us. It kind of skates right over our head because what we really don't get is the the um, meaning of talent versus denarii. There's a huge, significant difference in that. And so instead of just telling you what the currency difference is according to our currency, I want to help you understand it because I want to do a comparison based on how much time it would take to earn these respective amounts of money. So let's start with the 100 denarii. A denarius was a one day's wage for a typical day laborer who worked six days a week with a Sabbath day of rest, allowing approximately two weeks for various Jewish holidays. The typical laborer worked about 50 weeks a year and earned an annual wage of 300 denarii. So 50 weeks times six days, therefore it was a, um, 100 denarii was one-third of a year's salary that, the, uh, that this guy would have earned. Now, suppose you continue to work as a day laborer earning 300 denarii each year. After 20 years of such labor, you would earn 6,000 denarii. At this point, the king would have said to you, hey, that's great. You've earned enough to pay off one talent. 6,000 denarii equals one talent. All you have to do, it took you 20 years to do it, all you have to do now is pay off the other 9,999 denarii that you owe me. So how long would it take him to pay that all off? Well, if you do the math like I didn't do, I took it from somebody else who's smarter than me, and because I'm not a math guy, but it would take you 200,000 years to pay off the 10,000 denarii. All right? So it's kind of absurd that you would have to pay that back. Matter of fact, it's kind of like, man, that's, that's like, you're not going to get that done not even in a million years. And so if you continue to take that, that would take the 100 denarii and 100 talents, and it would look like, what would it look like in today's dollars? So let's say that the minimum wage is $8, $8 per hour. And from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, we know that the laborers work 12 hours per day, which is 72 hours per week. Under many U.S. labor laws, they would have gotten paid for their 40 hours a week at $8 an hour and 32 hours of overtime at $12 for uh, an hour for a weekly wage of $704. Thus, their annual wage, assuming that they worked 50 weeks, uh, would have been $35,200. That's what they would have made. Then you take one-third of that, it would have been $11,733. And that's what the equivalent of the 100 denarii would have been that was owed to the other guy. So then if you take that earning of $35,200 per year at a minimum wage, how much would, it, would you earn in 200,000 years to equal the 10,000 talents? It would be 7.04 billion dollars. 
All right. That changes the perspective a little bit. $11,700 versus $7 billion in debt that's owed. And the king forgave $7 billion. And this guy, with all that he's been forgiven, would turn around and wouldn't forgive the $11,000 that he's owed. At the end of that story, Jesus made this declaration. He said, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The debt of forgiveness, forgiving someone from your heart, is is such a significant thing that when we take a look at what Jesus is saying now, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, takes on an entirely different meaning. The idea of forgiveness is of such great importance to Jesus that he wove it in and through his entire life as he walked on earth. You remember when the, the, the paralytic was lowered down from the roof to be healed by his friends? Jesus didn't say, you're healed. He said, You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He forgave his sins before he healed him. And so when we take a look at what Jesus is doing, it's amazing how he responds with forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge deal within the life of Christ because even while he is hanging on the cross and dying, one of the last things he says is he says to his father, forgive these guys Because they don't know what they're doing. And you know what I believe? I believe at the very moment that Jesus asked his father to to forgive these guys who just nailed him to the cross, that God honored that request and forgave those soldiers for the, the deed that they just performed by nailing the Son of God to the cross. Forgiveness is powerful. It is strong. And and Jesus and forgiveness go hand in hand. That's the entire point of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is that he procured forgiveness for us. We stand condemned in our own sin. And there's no way that we can obtain forgiveness of sin on our own. It's only by the blood of Jesus that any of us will know forgiveness and find peace with God. Jesus places a a high emphasis on forgiveness and makes it imperative that we are making sure that we don't leave forgiveness on the table at the end of the day. We often make a big deal of things that aren't maybe such a big deal and we often don't make a big deal about the things that should be a big deal and I believe that forgiveness is one of those big deals that we just skate on by and we don't participate in the way God asks us to do it. In Matthew 5, it's forgiveness and forgiving others is such a huge deal that in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wants us to understand that forgiveness is more important than our worship. Forgiveness is more important than our worship. Because it says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, in Jesus is painting this picture of the tabernacle, of the synagogue, that the disciples all know really well. And then when they come in and they're worshiping God, they are bringing some kind of a gift that they're going to give before God. We do that. We bring a gift of praise every week to Jesus when we come in here together. We offer up a adoration and praise and honor and glory to God. And what Jesus is saying, before you bring that to my Father and you offer that to Him, you need to walk through your mind, your days, your week, and you need to find out if there is someone in your life that you're holding a grudge against, and before you come and worship me, go and make that right. <laughs> That's probably a really appropriate response. Ugh. Ugh. You know, um, about 20 years ago, when I f- first started to preach on forgiveness. I was preaching this to our church in Canada. And I had a guy who got up in the middle of the service and he walked out the back door. And I thought, man, I really offended that dude. And about 35 minutes later, he came walking back into church and sat down where he was at. After church, here's what he told me. He said, the Spirit of God convicted me so greatly that I had an offense against another brother that I hadn't dealt with, that God convicted me. I got up and I went, because the Bible says, leave your sacrifice right there and go deal with it. He went off and for 30 minutes, he made reconciliation with his friend that he'd been holding something against for years. That's the power of God at work in the lives of people who take forgiveness seriously. And and the idea is that when we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts and we haven't made things right with a fellow Christ follower, what we've done is we've put this obstruction, this barrier between us and God in our relationship. God wants us to come and worship Him, but He wants us to come with hearts that have forgiveness flowing through them. And an unforgiving heart will affect our relationship with God. And the truth is that anything that hinders our relationship with God skews our relationship with God. Because now all of a sudden, instead of having this honest, open relationship with God, we've got a covering now over it of unforgiveness that paints God in a different picture than who He really is. And sometimes we think God does this, that He gives us a wink at our unforgiveness and says, don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay in the end. But what it does is it hampers our ability to be in relationship with God, first of all, and then it's transferred into our relationship with one another. And God says, that's not going to work for me. It's not going to work for you either. And so what he wants us to do is is to come to him just like Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer. But at the end of the Lord's Prayer, in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, Jesus goes on and says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now there's, there's two points here that really are important for us to to understand as we move forward. So is is Jesus saying 
that my ability to forgive someone who has wronged me, my salvation hinges on my ability to forgive others. Does my eternal destiny hinge on my ability to forgive someone who has wronged me? The short answer to that is no. Because then your salvation is dependent upon what? You. It has nothing to do with you. Get over yourself, would you? It really doesn't. We're so narcissistic, narcissistic that we think, you know, I've really got to take care of this because everything really hinges upon me and my ability to please God. And God, you know, he needs me to appease him. And so I'm going to do all that I can do to make God happy. La, da, da, da. And God's going like, haven't you read the Bible? It has nothing to do with you. You're, you are saved by grace alone. It's Christ's work on the cross alone, not man's actions. Our right standing before him, before God, is established on one thing only. The finished work of Christ on the resurrection of the grave. The penalty for our sin is that is rightly ours is paid by Christ. We obtain it by grace through faith not by any righteous deed of our own. No one will stand before God demanding that his sins be forgiven simply because he has forgiven others. Only when we are born again, when we have this new life through God, by the Holy Spirit, by faith in Christ, are our sins forgiven. Therefore, Jesus is not referring to God's initial act of forgiveness, the theological term, reconciliation, that we experienced when we first came to faith in Christ. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. So then what is he teaching if he's not saying your salvation hinges on your ability to forgive other people? He's saying that your relationship with God and the depth of your relationship with God hinges on your ability and willingness to forgive other people. Do you ever wonder why you just can't go deeper with God? It seems like every time you try to go deep, you hit bedrock. Something's holding you back. Something's preventing you from going deeper and knowing God in a greater way. That's, those are the signals that the Holy Spirit gives to us for us to do a little self-examination to explore our heart, which is what this table is all about. Because we're going to get to this in a little bit, but in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11 it says, as we come to this table... We need to examine our hearts to make sure that we don't you know, hold unforgiveness against somebody else. Because if we do, coming to the table becomes pointless. It becomes a meaningless act of coming and saying, Jesus, you're so great for forgiving my sins, but you think I'm going to forgive that knucklehead over there? Not a chance. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. He doesn't get my forgiveness. There's no way on earth I'm going to forgive that person. And by the way, I know that there are people who have gone through so much in their life by people. They've been abused sexually. They've been abused physically. And they've been abused mentally and emotionally. I mean, every form of abuse that you could think of, the most heinous thing. But when we come to Christ and we experience forgiveness from God by His grace, all of a sudden, what God's saying to us is, now you have experienced my fullness in, in, in forgiveness through my grace. I want you to turn around, and I want you to give that forgiveness to the worst offender in your life. And what happens a lot of times is we go like, no, 
I can't. I won't. I won't forgive them. And so when Jesus comes and he says, you know, if you forgive others their offenses, their trespasses, their wrongdoings on your life, then your Father's going to forgive you. But when you make that adamant stance that there are some people in your life you're unwilling to forgive, God's going, then I am going to withhold my forgiveness of you. Because there is every kind of day that we come to God and we say, you know what? Today, I really messed it up. I screwed up badly. I sinned against you. I sinned against my wife. I sinned against my church. I sinned against my family. I sinned against my best friends. I sinned against myself. And God, I'm so sorry for that. Please forgive me of my sin. I'm confessing my sin to you, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And God says, okay, I'll do that. But are you going to forgive so-and-so? Nope. And God goes, well, then guess what? Live in your misery and in your sin because it's not forgiven until you forgive that guy. Now, it doesn't condemn us and send us to hell. I want you to get that. It does not condemn us and send us to hell, but what it does, it starts to build this wall between us and God in our relationship, and it starts to come up to the place where we can hardly even see over the wall. We're wondering if God can even hear our prayers. Are they getting over the wall to God? Because we've got this unforgiveness in our heart that we are unwilling to deal with. And my question is, is there anything that somebody else has done to you that's worse than what you've done to God? And I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is no. Your offense to God is greater than any offense anybody has ever committed against you. And I don't care how heinous of an offense somebody committed against you. You have done far worse to our God. So what Jesus is referring to here when he says that then is he's not talking about our eternal destiny. It's more like in John chapter 13 when he was washing the feet of the disciples, and he came to Peter. And you know Peter, he's, he's like, I'm either all in or I'm all out. And so when Jesus says, hey, I need to wash your feet, and Jesus goes like, you're not going to have a part of the kingdom if I don't wash your feet. And then Peter's like, well, well, shoot, don't just wash my feet, give me a bath. And Jesus looks at him and goes, come on, Pete, get a grip, dude. You don't need a bath, you had a bath. You've been walking in the dirt, and your feet are filthy. That's what needs to be cleaned right now. Just your feet, not your whole body. And that's, that's kind of the undertones of what this forgiveness of our trespasses and debt is, is that it's not our whole body that's going to, you know, if, if we're not completely sin-filled. We've got this issue that's dirty that needs to be taken care of, but it hinges on our willingness to forgive others. And that's where God's calling us to go. You know, one of the things that happens is if there are those we have not forgiven, when we ourselves pray for forgiveness, then practically speaking, here's what we're asking God to do. Not to restore a right, right, a right relationship with us. Forgive me, but I'm not going to forgive them. Basically, we're saying, God, I'm going to go through the motions, but I really don't want to have a right relationship with you at this time. To emphasize the importance of restoring broken relationships with our brothers and sisters, Jesus states that asking for God's forgiveness for one's own sins 
while withholding forgiveness from someone else is not only bizarre, but hypocritical. We become hypocrites in the process. And we cannot possibly walk with God in true fellowship if we refuse to forgive others. That's why in Mark 11, Jesus said, when he's talking about prayer, he says, whenever you stand, whenever you stand praying, the next word, forgive. If you have anything, anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. So every time we come to prayer, one of the first things we should be doing is asking God, is there anybody that I have not forgiven that I need to forgive? I already hear the complaint. I already hear, I've heard this before, so uh, you're not catching me off guard. I was well prepared for this little question that you just asked. What if they don't ask for forgiveness? Then I don't have to give it to them. Show me that in the Bible somewhere, would you? The, the, the problem with that attitude is, is now it's blame shifting. You're saying, I'm not responsible to forgive that person because guess what? They've not asked me to forgive them. And God's going like, did you ask me to forgive you when I sent Jesus to the cross? No, but I did it anyway. Why? Because I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. So, you know, get off your high horse, get down on your knees, ask for forgiveness, come and stand before God and be ready to grant forgiveness to those people that God brings to your mind. So if forgiveness, um, if the forgiveness received is ineffective, that we're bent on holding unforgiving grudges, we're not living in grace and truth. The whole thing of asking, you know, offering forgiveness to someone came up as a conversation with the disciples in Jesus. And in Luke 17, Jesus is having this conversation and Peter says, or one of the other guys, can't maybe it wasn't Peter, maybe it was Thomas, could have been Bartholomew, no, it might have been Matthew. Anyway, one of the disciples said, you know, if my brother asks me to forgive him, Do I forgive him like two or three times on the same issue? Jesus says this. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Now, look, the rebuke isn't a harsh rebuke like, hey, you stupid idiot, why'd you do that? That's sin. No, it's not like that. It's a loving thing, like in Galatians 6.1. Those of you who are spiritual, find someone who is in sin, you should come to him alongside of him and gently and lovingly bring them back, rebuke them, gently and lovingly. That's what this means right here. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Jesus didn't say you might forgive him. He didn't say you might want to think about forgiving him. He didn't say you could forgive him. He says you must forgive him. He asks Forgive him. So 
you know, and, and when it talks about if he sins against you seven times, it's not seven different sins. Let's just say it's the sin of lying. He lied to you, and then he lied to you again, and he lied to you again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and you forgave, 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 and then he did it one more time, and he lied to you again, and he says, I'm sorry, you say, I forgive you. On one sin, that's the repetitiveness right there. If forgiveness, if the forgiveness that we receive at the cost of the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is so ineffective in our hearts that we are bent on holding unforgiving grudges and bitterness against someone else, we are not imitators of Jesus. We don't cherish this forgiveness. We don't trust this forgiveness. We don't embrace and treasure this forgiveness. We are hypocrites. We haven't even felt the piercing, joyful wonder that comes from knowing God who paid the life of his son to obtain true forgiveness for us. We just don't know what it means. We've never really experienced it. Um, One of the most interesting things about forgiving people is that we, we, have, we have kind of a two-deal thing going on. One is, is we think that forgiveness is synonymous with trust. So a lot of people are unwilling to forgive because they're saying, if I forgive that guy or that gal or that person for whatever it is, that means I have to trust them. And I'm not willing to trust this person, therefore I'm not going to forgive them. And Jesus isn't saying that's what you have to do. Matter of fact, what he's saying is, go ahead and forgive them, and they have to earn that trust back. That trust has to be earned back. It isn't immediately given out. God doesn't call us to be stupid. He calls us to be wise. You know, um, as harmless as doves and as, as cunning as a, a serpent, really. And so we come, and that's the forgiveness part. Yeah, I'm going to forgive you. Oh, well, then let me, uh, you know, it, it's like us as a church. All of a sudden, one of the guys that's counting offering decided that, you know, it was like one for Jesus, three for me. One for Jesus, three for me. And it just kind of went this way, and all of a sudden we were kind of going like, something's wrong, and we look at the records, and all of a sudden we find out that we've got someone who is embezzling funds from the church. And we're going like, well, that isn't good. And so we go through the whole process and we deal with the whole thing and we actually even get the law involved in it because that's the right thing to do and we deal with the whole thing and after years or months or whatever it takes, the guy comes and he confesses his sin and he says, I'm, I really want you to know that I'm really sorry, deeply sorry for what I've done. It was wrong. It was a sin against you. It was a sin against God, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of it, we go, we forgive you. Would you please count the money today after church? No, he has to earn that trust. He can, you know, we'll help him do recycling or whatever to make up and pay back what he's, what he's already stolen. So um, here's, here's one of those little things I want you to grab a hold of this morning. I want you to write this down on the tablet of your heart. And it's this, we cannot sow unforgiveness to others and reap forgiveness from God. We cannot sow unforgiveness to others and reap forgiveness from God. That's why in Ephesians, 
Paul wrote this. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You get that? As God in Christ forgave you, that's how you're supposed to forgive those who've offended you, who've sinned against you, who've done you wrong. How did God forgive you? You asked and it was granted. It was granted before you even asked. It was given to you. Jesus makes it clear. Here's what I really want us to understand is that Jesus makes it clear that that we must model our forgiveness of others on God's forgiveness of our sins. We model our forgiveness of others on the way that God has forgiven us of our sin. And, And I want to help you understand something else because a lot of times what's happening when we have an unforgiving heart, I mean, the, the sin is unforgiveness, and the fruit of an unforgiving heart is bitterness, anger, resentment. And that's just to, to begin with. And that, that infection seeps into every one of your relationships. It's just not aimed at that person back there. It, it goes to this person, it goes to your wife, it goes to your children. It goes to your friendships. It goes to your church family. They're just, you're angry and bitter and mad at the world all the time because you've not forgiven that other person. The way that I heard it said, and I've, I've used, stolen this little phrase and used it in my life, I've claimed it as though I made it up myself. I'm confessing my sin, just so you know. Jesus forgives me. That's more important. When we have an unforgiving heart, the effects of that is we are now drinking the rat poison in an attempt to kill the person that sinned against us. And all it's doing is bringing toxicity into our own lives and into our own relationships. And the worst part about it is the person that we're trying to kill with our unforgiveness doesn't even know. They don't even, you're not even on their radar. You're not even a blip in their life. They have completely forgotten about you and they don't care. And all of a sudden, you're doing all this stuff trying to hurt them deeply. And they're like, just living life. And you're living in misery. And you're killing yourself. And that's, that's the, the main purpose behind us forgiving others isn't for them, it's for you. Now, I'm going to do something real quick. It's not even in my notes. There are four indicators on forgiveness. This is how you need to forgive. You know you need to step in and start pursuing forgiveness with an individual. Number one, you've all had this happen. It works. I can't, I don't care who you are. This is what happens. When you wake up in the morning because of whatever, whatever it is that whoever did to you did it, You wake up in the morning, first thing on your mind is, I can't believe they did this to me. I mean, you open your eyes and it's like, 
that thing now is consuming your mind and you're thinking about this person and the things that they did and how bad they treated you and you think about it while you're having your shower, you think about it while you're having your breakfast, you think about it while you're putting your lunch together and this thing consumes your thoughts while you're driving to work. And then when you get to work and, and you go through your day, all of a sudden you forget about it because you're busy doing all these other things. And then at lunchtime, you open up your lunch and all of a sudden it's, you go to eat your sandwich and you're like, and your stomach is in a knot because all of a sudden you're thinking about that thing with that person again. And then you finish your day, and then right when you're laying your head on your pillow because it's a, a busy, exhausting day, you lay your head back on your pillow and your eyes pop open because now your mind is filled with that thing again. In other words, it consumes your thoughts. That's the Spirit of God saying, you need to deal with this. Or it could be, you get together and, and you call up your friend and go, hey, let's go for coffee. Let's go down and get coffee and hang out with each other. And you start to sip your coffee. And all of a sudden you turn to the other person and you go like, you know what? That dirty, rotten, no good for nothing, son of a preacher, Ken Simon, you know what he did to me? That guy is the worst guy I've ever met in my life. And I can't believe he calls himself a Christian because this is what he does. And you talk about it. And then you get up and you leave and go, man, coffee was so good. And they're going like, yeah, right. And then you walk down the street, you bump into another friend, and you go like, you know what that dirty, rotten pastor did to me? La, 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 la. Hey, good seeing you again. They're going, yeah, not so much. And, and so that's what you do. You can't control it. You have to talk about that incident and that person to everybody. Bear with me, I'm old. I forgot number three. We'll just skip to number four. Number three will come back. This is number four. Number four is that it hinders your personal relationship with the, the other person. Now, look, if you weren't pizza buddies with them before the incident, don't think we're asking you to be pizza buddies with them afterwards. That's not what we're saying. But the thing we are saying is when you're walking through the grocery store and you pull up to the peanut butter and jelly store, aisle and you're reaching down you pick up the the jelly and you turn around and look and here comes that person down the aisle you go like i don't need that today and you turn around and you walk all the way over to the produce section you circle back around you stand at the aisle and you're watching you go okay turning left or right left or right and so they turn right and you go thank you and you go so you're now going down the aisle to try and get the peanut butter and jelly and guess what right when you reach down pick up to it there they are looking you right in the face and you go And you don't say anything to them. You just walk the other way. Because now you're avoiding them. It has damaged your ability to even be kind and considerate to the other person. You can't say, hi, how are you? And actually mean it. I'm waiting for three. Well, three is, go back to number one. I don't know when I'm going to remember it. Just come and see me sometime. If you're, if, if you're one of those OCD people who goes like, I got to have three or I can't sleep tonight. <laughs> see me after church. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> All right. Here's where I want to really help you out. Because we feel like people need to get their just desserts. (laughs) 
They need to get what's coming to them. They need to know the full extent of your wrath. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said this, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When it comes to someone who who refuses to try to settle the account with you, God is on your side. He has your back. You don't need to go and, and make that person's life miserable. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and He does it far better than you will. And the reason why the Holy Spirit is so much better at it than you isn't because He's trying to inflict pain on the person. He's trying to get the person to come to the place where they repent of their sin, confess it to God, and make their relationships right. Because first and foremost, they sinned against God and not you. So leave the vengeance to God. And let me finish off with this. Because it's going to be our segue right into communion. Okay? And it says this in Matthew 26. This is Jesus. He's at his last supper with his disciples. And he he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Every time forgiveness comes, it's on the blood of Jesus that we know forgiveness. It's on the blood of Jesus that we extend forgiveness. It's because of what Jesus did that gives us the ability to to say someone, your sins are forgiven. I forgive you. And by the way, uh, the, the evangelical Protestant church has done a horrible job at this. Because all we ever say is, I mean, first of all, here's our confession. I'm sorry. And here's our, our extending forgiveness. It's okay. No, it's not okay. You sinned against God. And what are you sorry about? Getting caught? What are you really sorry about? We're, we're horrible at this. And we can take up a line from um, our ecumenical brothers who walk in Christ that are from the Catholic background because they know what confession is. They make confession. Now, they don't, they've got it a little bit messed up, I'm afraid. You know, that's my theological bent on it. But I will tell you this, that if when we learn to confess our sin to God and then we make a confession to our brother that we sinned against, then we can say, will you forgive me? And forgiveness will come to us. But it's all predicated on the blood of Jesus. And I think when when someone says, will you forgive me? I think our response should be, I forgive you and Jesus forgives you too. Because how often do you ever hear from someone else that Jesus forgives you? And I'm telling you, if you want to know the peace of God, those are the words that will ring true in your heart. Jesus forgives you, because he does. It's truth, it's grace combined together. I'm going to ask the the elders to join me at the front, and we're going to step right into communion at this time. And so I I want to take us back to that 1 Corinthians passage.